Hope you're doing well. We are finishing out our sermon series through the book of Proverbs for this month. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31, as promised. If you've been here, um, I've told you uh, today will be the day that we understand women finally. Um, That's actually not at all what's going to happen. Instead, we're going to look at Proverbs 31, which is a passage that's directed to women on how to be excellent, excellent wives. So we are going to look at that. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into uh, Proverbs chapter 31. Um, this is kind of a part of a larger sermon series as we've been going through the entire book together, reading through the entire Bible together. Each month we kind of zoom in on a book of the Bible, and we've been doing Proverbs for this particular month. So we'll go to Jeremiah Lamentations next, next month. So uh, this week we are in, in the book of Proverbs, finishing up this month. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into Proverbs 31. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. You're so good to give it to us, and I confess my absolute need for your spirit now to be able to preach. Um, without you, I can do nothing. And so would you come now and speak through me, speak kindly through me and gently through me, um, I pray that all the things that you would want me to say, I would say, and those things that wouldn't be helpful or wouldn't be uh, what you would want, you would keep me from saying those things, God. And I pray for everyone's heart here, husbands, wives, um, married or unmarried, that everyone here would receive these words, Lord, um, and they would see that there's much to learn um, from this text. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Proverbs 31 is primarily uh, a, a text about how to be an excellent wife. So uh, that doesn't mean that it's not for everyone here. So if you're like, you know, in college and you're like, oh, I'm a dude and I'm in college. What am I doing here today? Like th- there's, lo- there's lots to learn, all right? There's still lots to learn because um, overall we're going to talk about, you know, how to be a person. So there's things that you can see that she does, but all these things should be, I think, in our lives. Let me say this also. Um, sermons, if... If perhaps you're like, oh, finally a, a sermon on how to be an excellent wife. I got, once I get this, then it's going to start happening. Sermons, you're, maybe you're not, but sermons don't change your life. They just don't. Sermons will not change. When you hear a sermon um, and you sa- say, by the, power of the, by the power of the Spirit within me, Christ in me, I'm going to change my life along with God's help, then your life will change. But what I'm saying won't change your life. But instead, hearing what the Word is saying and by being filled with the Spirit, trusting Christ, that is when you'll begin the process of changing your life. So um, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 31. I'm just going to pick it up at verse 10. Um, You can see in verse 1 that this is written by King Lemuel. His mother uh, told him this particular proverb about what an excellent wife would look like. And so he wrote it down. And so as we read this, know that it's actually... Not just coming from a man saying, hey, this is what a good wife should do. This is literally coming from a woman who told her son, King Lemuel, and he wrote it down. Verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax. She works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. And with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives 
that her merchandise is profitable. <clears throat> her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, um, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She sells sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So before we get too far and you hear that, if you're a wife or a, maybe one day going to be a wife and you hear that and you're like, well, oh man, that's crazy. She's insane. Who is this wonder woman? There's no way I can do that. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about the sermon. John Piper says, if you're going to preach a, pro- a sermon on Proverbs 31, and he's, he's a smart man, um, he says this, you should try to accomplish three things. And these, these are my, my aims. Uh, to inspire women to fear the Lord and be like this woman in the way that she fulfills her role. To inspire others, especially the husbands and children, to praise women who fear the Lord. And to contain, and that a third sermon, the third thing is a sermon should contain praise for the godly woman. So as we look at this, my goal for you that are wives, wives to be, and, and even husbands, I'm an equal opportunity uh, convictionist here today. Um, I'm, I'm sending out maybe to both. Um, I don't want you to be overwhelmed when you hear this, but instead, I want you to see these things and be inspired to attain to these things and be encouraged. So, um, that's my goal in this. I will, after we look at some of these things, we'll ask some questions about what does your life look like? Are you doing these particular things? But not in a way that's trying to condemn you, but instead as a way to give you ideas on how you can be inspired to start living some of these things out. So um, you should know that our arrangement of the Old Testament in our English language is different than the way the Hebrews arranged their Old Testament. The Hebrews arranged their Old Testament in a different order. So In the Hebrew Old Testament, after the book of Proverbs, came the book of Ruth, um, intentionally. And so as you see Proverbs 31, and you read this, and you're like, look at the ideal, excellent wife woman. And you're like, wow. And then they say, and here's kind of an example. Here's Ruth. So that's intentionally ordered. I'll actually show you in a little bit um, some of the connections, even in the wording of Ruth and the wording of Proverbs 31, and how the writer tried to connect these two things to help you see that Ruth is... Um, a personification in a lot of ways, and she wasn't perfect, of a Proverbs 31 woman. Um, so um, we're going to start in verse 10. You should know that uh, the writer, each word through this, entire, in, through this entire book is an acrostic. So it starts with the Hebrew word Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dot, and it goes all the way through the Hebrew alphabet, uh, and, and 20, I think it's 22 letters all the way down. So um, I don't have 22 points, praise the Lord. Um, but that's... But that's uh, that's what it's written as, and that's because they wanted to write um, with excellence, and they wanted to write with beauty, not just um, in, the, in the content of the words, but even aesthetically. 
they wanted the poems to be arranged with beauty. Far more, um, uh, far more wise and, and, and I think smarter than we are in a lot of ways. But anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Verse 10. So it says this, an excellent wife who can find. So let's, let's talk about what we mean with an ex- by excellent wife. Um, this can also be translated a strong wife. A strong wife. So the, the idea of excellent is strong. As a matter of fact, this is written in the Hebrew. And so at one point they translated the Hebrew into Greek, known as the Septuagint. And they wanted to convey the strength idea. So they said, instead of an excellent wife or a strong wife, they said a manly wife. A very manly wife. So we're, we don't mean that you're not feminine. But it's trying to say a manly, strong wife. So the excellent, strong, manly woman is who is being described here. Um, And what is it that makes her so manly? What is it that makes her so strong but quite feminine? What is it that makes her so strong? It's this. Um, As you read the entire... As you read the entire chapter, what you can see is the reason why the picture of this woman being so strong is because she is the kind of woman that gives herself away to her family, gives herself away to her community. Um, She is a picture of wholehearted selflessness for her family and her community. So this is why she's so strong, because she is so remarkably selfless. She's remarkably selfless. So what we're going to see here are some traits or characteristics that, that make her excellent, and as you see these things, uh, we'll point them out one by one. And as you see these things, you, hopefully you'll write them down. And those of you that are wives or aspiring wives, you'll write these things down and you'll want these things um, in your life. And husbands or aspiring husbands, you'll want to, and we'll get to it, try to help these things happen in your wives' life, lives. All right, verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. That, that word gain is like loot, like you went into a war and you stole every, afterwards over, you stole all the loot and you brought it back home. He'll, he'll never lack of having things, if you will, um, because, of, because of her. her. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. So the first thing I want you to see here about this excellent wife or this excellent strong woman is that her husband's heart trusts her. Notice it doesn't say that her husband trusts her. He, he gets down to the depths. He says her husband's heart trusts her. This is the deep down inside depths of who he is and his soul trusts her. He feels absolutely honored to get to be her husband. When he thinks about her, he's like, I can't believe I get to be her husband. It's not the reverse. She's so lucky. She's so lucky. She's, it's not that. It's I can't believe that I get to be her husband. And she has won a place deep down in my heart that I trust her. Besides Jesus Christ himself, the husband trusts no one else above her. Besides Jesus, the heart of her husband trusts her. Why? Why does he trust her like this? Because look what it says in verse 12. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. So this isn't a day-by-day tearing down of her husband. This isn't a day-by-day reordering his mind and thoughts to conform to what your desires are. This is a day-by-day seeking to build him up. She does him good and not harm. The overall demeanor of her, her life and thought process is, I'm going to do him good and not harm. This is why he trusts her with his, with his heart, 
This is great reason to trust her. So let, let, me, let me stop and ask some questions for you. Um, for those that are wives in the room, does your husband trust you? Like deep down heart trust you? Does your husband trust you above all others? Do you give him reasons to continually trust you? How about this one? This one, my goal is to not overwhelm, not to condemn, but for you to be inspired. Is the trust that he has, is it forced trust or is it trust with his heart? Do do you seek to do him good all the days of his life? Are you making sure that you're keeping him from harm? In other words, if he's walking down a path of destruction and he's made that decision 14 times and this time you're just going to let him, you're walking into it, bub. I pulled you back 14 times. This one's yours. Or is it I'm going to keep him from harm the 15th time? Are you seeking to keep him from harm? Do you give him reasons to feel honored to be able to be your husband? Now, likely, you might be feeling nervous uh, and saying, Fudd, you're not fulfilling your, your first commitment you made like five seconds ago when you said, you're not going to make me feel overwhelmed. I haven't even thought in those categories, and I haven't sought his trust on that particular level. L- let, me, let me say this, and I'm quoting Ray Ortland here. He's amazing, soft-spoken, gentle Ray Ortland, wise. He's in his 50s and 60s. I just, he just oozes the gospel and s- such amazing um, thoughts about God. And he says this in his, his commentary on Proverbs. Women, please hear this because if you're, if you're feeling already distraught, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not the one that's supposed to be. God already sees you right now as the ideal wife or woman for your husband. Why? Because you're married to him. In his sovereign hand, he's allowed you to be the one that's married him. And so... Without question, you are for him right now the ideal woman for your husband. God sees you as a precious gift under Christ. God values you. And God's strong affirmation of you is that you will get new strength every day to keep growing more and more in personal excellence or growing as the excellence wife, the excellent wife. So before you're already feeling overwhelmed, you need to hear this great positive, encouraging exhortation is that God has already seen you fit to be the ideal woman for your husband because you're married to him. And for those that might be married whenever you are, that will be true of you at that moment. You are the ideal woman for him because you are married, because in the sovereign hand of God, he allowed this to to come to pass, which means men. Also, you need to strive to trust your wife. You need to strive to trust your wife. I think this is the primary message of the overall message of the book of Proverbs. Ray Ortland also in that same little paragraph writes this. And when I read this this week, I was just like, oh, conviction. I wish I wouldn't have read it. I wish I did not know this piece of information. But this is what he says. The word husband is not just to be understood as a noun. The word husband is also to be understood as a verb. I husband my wife. And that verb can quite literally be translated as cultivate insert conviction. So my job is to cultivate, to husband my wife, to cultivate her, to grow into the excellent wife. Husbands, here is your job, to cultivate and nurture your wife, to make such an impact on her that she is enabled now to become all that God has created her and wants her to be in regard to the excellent wife. 
So you are to husband her. That doesn't mean be married to her. That further means that you are to cultivate, literally do all that you can to grow her as much as you can into the woman of God she's supposed to be. So as you husband her, that means she's growing in this and you absolutely are trusting your wife because she's growing into the person that the Lord wants her to be and so your heart should trust her. Your heart should trust her. So the first thing that we see in regard to the excellent wife is that her husband's heart trusts her and just as much as this is the wife's job to grow into that, it is the husband's job to husband her, to cultivate her heart so that she grows into it. Next thing. Verse 13, counting down through 16 is the next one. You can see she sees she seeks wool and flax. You might be thinking, well, I'm already out. I don't even know what that is, Fud. Well, it's all right. Uh, just notice the second phrase of 13. And works with willing hands. She works with willing hands. So this is the, the big idea of 13 through 16. She works with willing hands. Like the ships of the merchant, she brings food from afar. She rises while it is yet night. She's an early riser. She gets up to start the day. And you can also see, by the way, um, we'll get to it in the end of verse 18. Her lamp does not go out until night. She gets up early. She works hard throughout the day. She stays up late at night and she goes to bed. And that entire filled day that she has is all selfless giving away to her family and community in order to be an excellent wife. Um, But back over here. um, I know you're like, this this lady's crazy. Um, she might be. Verse 15, but she's amazing, right? She's excellent. Verse 15, she rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and she buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. So what we can see in that 13 through 16 is this, is that she's a hard worker and her hard work is not constrained or confined to just the household. Instead, she's actually part of the larger economy. She's buying a field and producing and planting a vineyard. So number two is this. She's a hard worker and involved in the larger economy. Now that doesn't mean that every wife has to be involved in the larger economy. But I think that does mean that if there is a wife that's involved in the community's economy, that she's not necessarily doing a wrong thing. Um, The main thing I want you to get out of point number two is she works hard. She's willing to put her hands in and work. That's the main thing. The first one is that her husband's heart trusts her. The second thing is that she's a hard worker. She is a hard worker. This lady is multitasker extraordinaire. (laughs) No one can multitask better than her. And maybe that's just the case for most women anyway. One or two things and I'm done. Um, But my wife, it's amazing. She can do like 75 things at once. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, the work in the larger economy. Especially in... 2015 southern American you know world where we think that might not be right this is not a commentary on whether women should or should not work outside the home this is not what Proverbs 31 is about Um, and I would even say that's kind of importing a 3,000 we're 3,000 years removed at least maybe longer maybe maybe even further years removed from this so I, I wouldn't say that we're allowed to import a question of our day into a text that's, that's that old. Um, it's not asking, can a woman go work? And I would even say, men working outside the home, compared to 3,000 years of this being written, is a decently recent phenomenon. Usually, you know, if you're a, a blacksmith or a shoemaker, you did it at your house, and your kids were always there anyway. So even the man was at home 
with the children, not just the wife. So we're, we're kind of asking the wrong question. So let me just, um, let me just brass tax it, if you will. Um, I, I don't think that it's sinful for the woman to work outside the home. I don't think it's sinful. Um, and I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. As long as it's not done to the neglect of the care of the family. As long as it's not done to the neglect, the, th- that's the way the Proverbs seem to be describing her. And I would just add that it's also, um, it could be considered sinful if the man's work outside the home is done to, be, to the neglect of his family. So we don't want to just put all that on her and say, well, the man can do whatever he wants, you know, 40 hours a week and do it. Either one, work outside the home, done to the neglect and care, and certainly there are, without any question, um, as we see in Genesis, certain um, things that are given to the man and the husband. We know that the man is the primary provider. That's, I think that's clear in Genesis. On the whole, the way that the on the whole marriage is supposed to be, that the man's primary job is to, is to provide, and the woman's primary job is to, to care for the family and nurture, and those are always can go back and forth. But either way, as they do it, it should not be to the neglect of their family for either one of them. So here, we see a woman who is, considers a field, and she buys it, and with the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. So she is hardworking, and notice what her hardworking does. In verse 14, it says, she brings in the food from afar. She orders in Chinese from really far. That's not what she's doing. She's bringing in food from afar. She brings in food in verse 15. She provides food for her, for her household. And, and let's just say, this is not um, some kind of archaic way to say the woman should do the cooking. See, it's right there in Proverbs 31. I don't think that's at all what it's saying. I think the one who can cook the best should do the cooking in the household. Then you get to eat good food. You know, that's just wise, right? In our household, it's not me because we would eat macaroni and cheese and cereal every day. Um, but my wife knows how to make stuff. I tried it once. I don't have time for the story, but I tried to make food once. It didn't go too well. Did it? it didn't go too well. What are you doing here? I follow the recipe. No, that's not right. You got to add all this stuff. But it was the recipe. So I learned recipes don't mean anything. Um, but anyway, um, she provides food. This isn't saying she can't order out. This isn't saying she can't say we're having pizza tonight. That's just the way it is. It just means that she is, this particular woman is overseeing the bringing in of the food for the house. It doesn't mean she has to cook it, but that's, she's, she's thinking in that regard. And that's generally the way it seems to be in most households. She's buying real estate. She's hardworking because she's buying real estate in verse 16. She's also hardworking because she's even planting a vineyard. And, or you can fill in the blank on however you want in your involvement in the larger economy. Um, the way I would just say it is, is, if you look at verse 27, is she looks well to the ways of her household. Her mindset is selflessly giving myself away from the early morning to the end of the day to look to the ways of my household. How? Because she does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not lazy. She does not sit around and do nothing all day. She's a hard worker. And so however that translates into your house, what's true if you're a Christian woman, an excellent wife, is you're to be a hard worker from from the moment you get up to the moment you lay, you lay your head down, it's to be a day filled with working hard, not laziness. Not do whatever I want. You can be involved in the larger economy or not. She is. It doesn't mean you have to. So let, let's stop and ask a couple questions. Straightforward. Are you then, are you being a hard worker? Are you willing to work with your hands for your family in whatever way that that would be suitable for your family? Are you, what would it look like 
um, because certainly the husband's part of this, what would it look like for you to bring in the food or provide the food? Um, What would that look like in your family that would balance your husband's abilities and personalities and strengths as well so that you are doing that with him? What would that look like in your life? And are you doing it? Are you doing it in your life? Um, She looks after her family actively. She's She's not lazy and she's not idle. She's a hard worker and even involved in the larger economy. Um, this third point kind of builds on that second point. Um, as she's a hard worker involved in the larger economy, there's some things about her in her involvement of the larger economy, which we'll get to. I want to look at verse 17 real fast, though. She dresses herself with strength. This is actually 17 is kind of connecting to 10. Sometimes the Proverbs are, are like that. 10 is kind of... Um, because she's dressing herself with strength was what we're talking about as the excellent wife. She's also strong. Um, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. This isn't meaning like she's at the gym, she's got super tone arms. It really just means because she's such a hard worker, it affects literally her arms. She's working so hard that she's actually, it's just showing that she works hard. It's not just like she's, she's super tone. Um, but maybe she is. Um, verse 18 Verse 18 is, as I said, number three that kind of builds from number two. Because she's a really hard worker involved in the larger economy, she's also quite intelligent. She's quite intelligent. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. So she's able to, she's able to work with her willing hands. She seeks out wool and flax, and you can see she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. How does she do that in verse 19? She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands to the spindle. You're like, well, I don't know what that is. Basically, that's just, she's doing two things kind of at once with her hands, and it's not real easy, but because she's such a hard worker, she's doing it, and because she's doing it, it's going to produce an actual item for her to be able to sell. So she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. So she's she's wise, she's shrewd, she thinks I can make a profit here, not just I can do something for my family, but even for the other people, they might buy it and then that can come back and help the family. So she's she's shrewd and because she's shrewd, she's not passive. She doesn't sit around and wait for things. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. As I said, she gets up in the morning and works and works until even into the night. She puts her hands to the distaff and to the spindle and holds her hands to the spindle. Verse 19 So the third thing I want you to see is that she's shrewd and that she's not passive. Um, Because she's a hard worker, she sees that she can do something with what she she makes. Uh, And there's billions of examples of how this could translate into your lives. Um, With whatever giftings that you have, whatever you can make, um, go after it. Because, but don't do it passively. Don't just kind of wait. Instead, be active. Be active in it and making, making sure that you are working as hard as you can. You're putting your hands to both the distaff and the spindle, if you will. You can see that um, because she's so active, um, in verse 21, in verse 21, we're going to get to it in a second, but it's going to be cold. And so because she sees it's going to be cold, she makes bed coverings so that all of her family can be warm. She makes so many that her family's covered and she realizes, well, I can sell these things. So she sells those things um, to, to the other people. In 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Um, and then in verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them and delivers sashes to the merchants. So this is her involvement again. She perceives my merchandise is profitable. It's not, I've made it for my family. We're covered. I have extra. I'm going to sell it. Why? Because she selflessly gives herself away for the overseeing, as it says in verse 27. Or, uh, yeah, 27 for the looking well to the ways of her household. She's actively involved in looking at the way uh, over her household. So um, 
She makes all these things. She's shrewd and not passive. Um, Again, just like two gives into three, three gives us into four. Because, in verse 19, she puts her hands to the staff and to the spindle, and she does both of these things, and she works hard. Because of her industry and the overflow, now she's able to be charitable. Without industry, there's no charity. There's no overflow. There's no extra to be charitable. So because she worked so hard, verse 20, she opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out to the needy. So the fourth thing is that she's kind-hearted to the poor and helps them. Her charity, her being kind to the poor, her helping them, is dependent upon her industry. If she works hard and has extra, then she can give extra stuff away. Now, we, we should realize this is not just about women. For all of us, if we work hard and we have extra, then we're able to be obedient to the commands of James where it says, look after the widows and orphans as well. But if we don't work hard and we just scrape by or we have lazy or idle hands, then we're not able to even fulfill the commands as we're told to look after the widows and orphans. So industry creates charity for her. She reaches out for hands. She's mindful of those that are less fortunate. As a matter of fact, in verse 8 and 9 in chapter 31, we hear about how she does this, where it says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So we know that this is something that all um, should be doing. It's helping those that are in need. What I want to point out, though, is this, is the the Christ-like, gospel-centered way she reaches out to the poor. It's not just in verse 20 that she does it, but she does it in the most Christ-like way. She initiates the compassion. That sounds like Jesus. He initiated the compassion to us. I love this. This is not just a picture of the poor coming to her, but instead of her going to them. She doesn't wait for the opportunities to help the poor. She creates the opportunities to help the poor. Jesus created the way that he could come to the poor in spirit and save them. So think of what this teaches to her children as she doesn't passively wait for opportunities, but instead creates them. Teach, think about how this is modeled to her husband as well, who sees that and says, that's awesome. We need to be doing that in the family. So excellent wife or women of God in this church, when your life is formed by the Savior who gave his life for you on the cross, then you'll find yourself serving as he has served. Then you'll find yourself wanting to be sacrificial as you have been sacrificially loved by Jesus. You'll find yourself wanting to initiate the compassionate things to be sacrificial to others. And remind you, just remind you, the industry of 19, her hard working, creates the ability for her to initiate the, the helping of the poor in verse 20. So she, as we see in number four, is kind-hearted to the poor and she helps them. So let's stop and ask some questions then. And this isn't just for the, the wives. This is for every person in the room. Because hopefully you have done some level of industry in your life. In other words, you've worked a day in your life sometime. <laughs> um, do you seek to help those that are less fortunate than you? Here's me. Here's the most convicting question I'm asking myself right here. Do you live in your own little world? Because I am 
I can convince myself right now that in my own little world, I've got all kinds of stuff going on and all kinds of problems to fix that I don't look outside my own little world to see the people that I can help. But are you helping people that are less fortunate? This isn't just a command to the Proverbs 31 woman. This is how Christians should live. It's in James. It's all over the Bible. So do you help those that are less fortunate or do you just live in your own little world? What would opening your hand to the poor look like for you? What would initiating help to the needy look like for you? It may not be the same as everybody. Likely it won't. It could be different. But how can you tangibly reach out your hands to the poor? Like literally, what can you do? Literally, what can you do? What did it look like for you to reach out your hands to the poor, initiate initiate compassion? Are you doing that or are you just passively waiting for it to happen to you? I would just say, if you are passively waiting for the opportunity to fall in your lap, for your community group to finally create a chance for you to give to the poor, or your church to finally create the opportunity for you to give to the poor, you're doing it wrong. You're just doing it wrong. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be, I need to give to the poor, Fud, create something for me. (laughs) That's, That's not it, right? Instead, it's in the same way that the gospel has been demonstrated to us, Jesus initiated to save the poor and needy, We are to be as Christ-like and as gospel-centered in the same way that we initiate. We initiate opportunities to do it. And it is absolutely dependent upon your hands being industrious. Not eating the bread of idleness, but instead being a hard worker yourself. So the fourth thing we see about her and all of us is that she should be kind-hearted to the poor and help them. Now the next one um, is different. So thus far we've talked about some of the things she does but now we're going to talk about the way she thinks. Talking about who she is, like who she is in her inner core as a believer in Yahweh, in God. Look at verse 21. She's not afraid of snow. All right, so this doesn't mean like she was the sister of Elsa and she's like, well, you know, I like you. You're not a big deal anymore. Like, make the slide. Um, it, it's, not, it's not that she's afraid of snow. Snow didn't happen very often in that land. It's not like she was in Chicago. She... She's in the Middle East, so it doesn't snow very often. So we're painting like worst case scenario of weather. They didn't have heat, central heat. So worst case of, of scenario of, of, of something that could happen that it would be really scary that could put our family's life in jeopardy. She's not afraid. No, I want to I I highlight for you, there's, a, there's kind of a, a first level reason she's not afraid, and then there's a greater level reason that she's not afraid. Both are important. Both are important. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For, for the reason why all her household is clothed in scarlet. Now, scarlet, this is the only place it appears in the Bible, that Hebrew word, and we, we're guessing in context what it could mean. But in context, scarlet's kind of, kind of a good word. You can see in your little note it says double thickness. In other words, if snow comes... She's prepared because she's made big, soft blankets, <laughs> or whatever you want to say. She's, she's created something so that if snow comes, her family is going to be covered. They're going to be warm. Because it says in verse 22, she makes bed coverings. So we, we see that in worst case scenario, she's not afraid because on her kind of level, first level, she's prepared for it. But there's something bigger than that. There's a bigger thing that's going on too because I'm talking about not just stuff that she does 
but we're, think, we're talking about who she is, how she thinks. What is her thoughts about God? Here's the fifth one. She trusts in the sovereign hand of God. Number five is she trusts in the sovereign hand of God. Now, notice, trust in the sovereign hand of God doesn't exclude her from taking plans. Of course she's going to make plans. So here, she's going to trust the sovereign hand of God. She's going to work hard. She's going to pray hard. And then she's going to trust God. So I, she, I should say, is going to make the cloth. She's going to do those things. But as she does those things, she's not going to fret. She's going to trust in the sovereign hand. It says in verse 25 that strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. In other words, what the Lord may bring, I sovereignly trust him and I have joy in the time to come because I know that he's good. I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to trust in the sovereign hand of God. And not only that, this is where it gets awesome. So for, for all you real feminine, feminine women, you're going to love this. She makes bed coverings and her clothing is fine linen and purple. So that's like the nicest clothes there are. So she's buying fields. She's working out in the vineyard. She's making all kinds of stuff. And she's looking good while she does it the whole time. I'm, I'm dressed in the finest linen. So I'm multitasking and I look good while all this is going on. So she, I mean, she's, she's quite a woman, right? She's quite a woman. She trusts in the sovereign hand of God and looks good while she does it. She's elegant, all this while looking good. So she trusts in the sovereign hand of God. That's the fifth thing. Um, this next one kind of takes, takes a little bit away from her and starts talking about her husband. But it's in a, in a unique way. In verse 23, you can see her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Now, I, I pointed out that Proverbs um, in the in the original Hebrew kind of making of the book, is followed by the book of Ruth. So in the book of Ruth, um, in chapter 4, if you haven't read Ruth, I'm not going to summarize. I don't really have time. But in chapter 3, Ruth finally makes it known to Boaz, hey, uh, Boaz, I'll be your wife, basically. <laughs> and so in that particular time period, in order to that, for that to happen, he had to, he had to redeem, he had to be a kinsman redeemer, had to fall on the line, etc. So in this particular time period, in order for that to happen, he has to go to the elders at the gate of whom he couldn't show up if he didn't have respect and, and you know, basically ask if it's okay for him to be able to purchase her to be a part of his life. So um, in chapter 4, verse 1, Boaz, and Jesus is our glorious Boaz, by the way, but that's a side note. Um, he's going to go purchase her and redeem her, and now she gets to be the bride. That's what Christ has done for us. Uh, but anyway, so Boaz, it says in verse 1, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So for a man in this particular culture to go to the gate, because that was kind of on the outskirts of the city, this is where the elders of the city, this is where the respected man of the city would sit and hear things. And so Boaz goes there. And likewise, this particular man um, who's married to the Proverbs 31 woman, look at this. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. That means this particular man, <laughs> he's got it so good. He's married to such an amazing woman that he himself gets the spillover of her awesomeness and that it creates for him that he is actually respected in the city as well. She's so amazing that it spills over into him and his reputation and his um, success in the city is enhanced as well. His respect as well. So the sixth thing is this. When we talk about an excellent woman, we talk about an excellent wife, she, because she's so awesome, number six, she will actually enhance 
her husband's reputation and his success. So like, if you think of just my own personal life, as you have Fudd and Christy and Christy and Fudd. So as, as I go around, I'm so excited that I get to know her and be with her that her awesomeness, that she has such a great reputation that, that spills over in the life of me. And I get to kind of be a part of who she is. It, it, it falls onto me and I am a glad partaker of having, having my reputation lifted up in the city because of Christy's awesomeness. That's what she enhances her husband's reputation and his success. So there's two different little things I'm trying to say there. Um, I need to stop and say this. I have a little note. I need to make sure I say this. Wives, um, if this isn't you yet, and that's a key yet, um, don't be discouraged. Because here's the deal. God's not done with your life at all. God is absolutely not done. And you can absolutely begin this. The great news about the gospel is that the old has passed and the new has come. God's declaration of the gospel is that you are a new creation in Christ. And so your husband's reputation can absolutely be enhanced because of who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your background. The gospel declares you as a new creation in Christ. And so because of that, walking in his ways, pursuing sanctification, and becoming that great woman of God can absolutely happen in your life. So don't count yourself out because, well, that's actually not me. That's not true at all. For those that are in Christ, that are pursuing Christ, walking in his ways, growing in holiness, growing in Christ's likeness, you can also be this exact same woman. It may not happen tomorrow, but it certainly will happen. So don't count yourself out just because you think, well, you don't know my background, Fud. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As Ray Ortland has already said, you are the ideal woman for your husband. And you absolutely can walk in these things. But not only does she enhance her husband's reputation, she also enhances his success. Um, one, of the, one of the things, at least in my own life, as my wife has talked, um, my wife and I have talked about how we can both grow as, as a husband and we can grow as a wife. One of the things that I find that I say to her is, um, if you uh, want to help me grow as as a leader, as a pastor, as, as someone who's supposed to be, you know, a good at his job, I just need for you to encourage me and believe in me. So you can enhance my success by, and I'm not saying blow my head up and make me think I'm awesome. <laughs> That's not what I need at all, right? But if you can encourage me and say you believe in me, and when I do something well, tell me that I did a good job, and then you can still say, and Jesus did it through you, and so that way I don't get the big head, That's fine. But if I know that my wife believes in me, I, I can walk through walls. I mean, I'll do whatever. So she will enhance her husband's reputation because she's so awesome. He gets to share in her awesomeness. People think, oh, that's Christy's husband. What's his name? Uh, Christy's husband. But he's awesome. Fud, that's his name. But conversely, if she is building him up, if you are wives building him up and saying, you did a good, it's not always you did a bad job there, that was wrong and this was wrong, but it's, you did good here. That was awesome when you did this. When you took care of the kids, that was awesome. You did a great job at your job here. I love it when you do this. You build up and enhance it. It's, and I, I mean, this is no lie, wives. Those things said to your husband will cause him to soar. They do far more than you could ever think you think, yeah, that's not a whole lot. They don't have a whole lot of power. That's crazy. They have enormous power. And 
with the power they have to make him soar in success, if you cut him down, it's the same power to make him fail. So not in a way that blows his head up and makes him think, well, look at me, I can't even fit through the door. She thinks I'm so great. So, but it's, I love it when you do those things. And I know it's Christ in you, and I'm so happy that he's doing those things, but keep doing those things. She will enhance her husband's reputation, and she will enhance his success. Now, up to now, we've talked about what she does. She talk, we talked about, um, we talked about how she thinks, but I want you to see, lastly, how she talks, the way she speaks. You can see it in verse 26. (coughs) She opens her mouth, and when she does, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teachings she gives are of kindness. So you can see she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So the seventh thing is this. When she speaks, she's wise and she's kind. When she speaks, not just to her husband, but to her children, not just those two, but her community. When she speaks, she's wise and she's kind. How did she get so wise? Because she's been listening to the book of Proverbs. Chapters 1 through 9 are the beckoning. Come, come, come. Be wise. Come be wise. Read chapters 10 through 31 and learn what wisdom is. And when you learn it, do it. We don't live and learn. We learn to live. So I'm learning the Proverbs so that I can live as wise. So how did she get so wise? She studies the Word. She's in the Word. She studies the Word. And she's just a woman of the Word. So when she speaks, she's wise, but she's also kind. I realize this is difficult. Um, I realize that speaking kind words can, continually can be a challenge. But when she speaks, she's not only wise... She's not wise and putting down. She's not wise and angry mean. She's wise and kind. She speaks the truth in love, Ephesians 4. So let's, let's ask some questions then. And again, this is not just for wives. This is for everyone in the room, as you speak to anybody. Are your words to your husband and children, wives, or to anyone, on the whole, because I know we'll have moments, <laughs> We have our moments. On the whole, are they wise and kind? If you were to get a survey from your husband and children, on the whole, would they say her, her, her words are wise and kind? Do you give them good counsel? Do you study the Proverbs in order to give good counsel? Are they words that are seasoned with grace? Are they words that are seasoned with with grace. This verse just popped in my head. I'm praying it's the right verse. We'll, we'll see. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. If it's not, we'll just act like this didn't happen. Um, Ephesians 4, 20. It's not 23. Um, it's 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. My kind speech, this is what I want it to sound like. Ephesians 4.29. I don't want corrupting talk to come out of my mouth. What kind of talk do I want to come out of my mouth? Only that's good. That builds up. Because it fits the occasion that I'm in. That it gives grace to those who hear. It doesn't tear down. 
It's wise and it's kind. It gives grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4.29. So, back up to verse 10. (laughs) An excellent wife, who can find? We've all discovered no one can find her. She doesn't exist, right? That's what we're thinking. But that's not the truth. Let's, let's, Let's understand this a little bit better. More precious than jewels. That doesn't mean jewels don't exist. It just means they're rare. So an excellent wife is rare. So I'm not saying that everyone here needs to fear defeated because only 10% of you are excellent wives and 90% aren't. That's not what I'm saying. Let's think bigger picture, right? Not everybody is in the church. Not everybody's full of Christ. Not everybody has the Holy Spirit. So in regard to the world, an excellent wife is rare. What's the distinguishing factor? The reason why she's rare is because she's in the church. For those that are believers in Christ, following after Jesus with the Spirit of God in them, pursuing holiness, seeking Him in His Word, growing in Christ's likeness, that's rare. And so the reason why she's more precious than jewels is because those that are doing that are and can be the absolute excellent Proverbs 31 woman. That means if you're in here and you've heard the gospel and you've trusted in the gospel, Every woman in this room, comparative to the rest of the world, can be a Proverbs 31 woman because narrow is the path that leads to life, Matthew 7, and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And I think the church finds rare opportunities for those women to be walking down the narrow path and be the excellent wife comparative to all the women in the world that have no idea that this text even exists. So it doesn't mean... It's so rare that you can't do it. I just think it means it's so rare because it's found in the church for those that are in Christ. So uh, who can find her? Well, I would say you can find her in the church. That's where you can find her. You want to find an excellent wife. That's the place you look. In the church. And I don't just mean remedy church. I mean Christians, Christian women. So yes, she's rare. But women... With the Spirit of God in you as you pursue Christ's likeness, living within these things, being these seven things, don't, hear, don't miss this. If you don't listen to anything else, hear this word, is absolutely attainable. Absolutely attainable. You can absolutely do these things. Don't let, as you read this, as you read the Proverbs 31, don't let her like, she scares me to death. I don't even want to read about her. Maybe I'll come back in 10 years. Don't do that. It's absolutely attainable for you to have these things. So what happens? If you're a results-oriented person, I am. I know that's kind of a man thing, but if you're a results-oriented thing, like, so what happens if I do that? What happens? This is what happens. There's some results that happens when a woman pursues these seven things and they're present in her life. Number one, verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Now, this isn't the same praise that we give to Jesus, like we've deified her and made her a God. She's not a God. But it's absolutely appropriate that we do give her blessing and praise, not the same kind we give to Jesus, but think of it as more of a, uh, an encouragement of thanksgiving to her. So what happens? Her children and her husband call her blessed and praise her. Back to the dads. Where do the children learn this? They learn it from dad. They learn it from dad. 
Ray Ortland, back to him, because he's just so, so good. No put downs, no fault finding, no insults. So we don't do negative things. And then he says, not even neutral silence. Instead, rather, husbands, bright, positive, life-giving praise for your spouse. God wants men that are not passive, but instead they're overtly husbanding, if you will, cultivating the excellence of their wife. And so that the wives are thriving because of them. And they don't just kind of do it once and said, hey, I did that for you. But they do it the next day. And they do it the next day. And they do it the next day. They're cultivating. You can't cultivate a garden and do something once. It's every day. Going back. You're teaching the kids. Isn't she wonderful? Look what she did. Everybody, tell her that she did this great. Not because we're trying to blow her up, but instead because the text says her children rise up and call her blessed. And they learn that from dad. So as much as you can, as often as you can, thank you for doing that. You did a great job. I love how you take care of the family, et cetera, et cetera. So that if you do it day in, day out, and you get to the end, and you're, you're old, and you're sitting on your porch, and your children or whatever they're doing, and she looks at you, and you're, you're at the end of her life, and she looks at you, and she says, I'm so glad you were my husband. I'm so glad that at the end of my life, I got to do this with you. You caused me to thrive. <laughs> Praise Jesus, he gave me you. That's what we want. I know that's tough. That's tough for me to hear, but that's what we want. Her children rise up and call her blessed, and they learn it from dad. Second result. Verse 29. Many women have done excellently, or they're strong, but you surpass them all. Second one is this. Family would declare that my mom or my wife surpasses them all. But they don't mean like, and yours stinks. It's just kind of like, you know when you're five, and my kids don't know that this actually exists because we homeschool them. But in real school, this happens. You, 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 whenever you're five or six or in first grade, you say, hey, you know what? My dad can beat up your dad. No, he can't. My dad can beat up your dad. Anybody ever deal with that? And you always thought, no, no, my dad can beat up your dad. He's huge. He's like 18 feet tall. You know, you'd make up how big he is. He legs like 700 pounds. It's the same kind of thing, right? It's the same kind of thing. My wife and mom surpasses your mom and wife, but not in a way like on the, on the playground where you actually want them to like show each other. <laughs> it's not in a comparative way. It's just that your mindset is, gosh, she's so awesome. She surpasses, I'm giving, but my true mindset is she surpasses them all. Many women have done excellent, but you surpass them all. Husbands, is your wife becoming magnificent because she's married to you? Because this is about the gospel. This is about the gospel. Hear this, hear this. How you view God, the way that you view God will affect the way you love your wife. How you really see God will show up in the way you treat your wife. A.W. Tozer says, the essence of idolatry is the entertainments of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. The essence of idolatry is entertainments about the high thoughts of God that are still yet unworthy of him. If your concept of God is beneath who he really is, then you have unworthy thoughts about your wife and you have unworthy words to her. This is a gospel issue because if Jesus is a glorious savior to you, then it will 
you will treat your wife um, in, the, in the way that Christ would have you. But if Jesus is not a glorious Savior to you, then you will treat your wife in a much lower way. This is why it's a gospel issue. So Christ wants us, as, as if Christ is glorious to us, then that will absolutely affect the way we treat our wives. The third thing is this, the third result. Verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be play, praised. And, and maybe if all the results, this is maybe the best one. Maybe of all the ones for you women, this will woo you in the most to say, I want to do that. Because that's what, if someone says, what kind of woman is she? I want them to say, a woman that feared the Lord. The result is this. She lives a life that is rooted in the fear of the Lord. This means just reverent awe. You're not afraid. You're just reverently in awe of his glory. You trust him. You love him. You're just amazed that you get to be his daughter. I want you to notice, as it says in verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Entirely missing from the Proverbs 31 woman is any mention of physical beauty. I want you to make sure you notice that because our culture says a lot of things different. As a matter of fact, the only word time is in verse 30. It says, beauty is vain. Beauty is vain. Our culture exalts that above all other things. It screams at you in thousands different of ways. Businesses are spending billions of dollars on entertainment and trying to convince you that the greatest thing that you need is to be fulfilled by your youthful beauty. And you'll spend countless amounts of hours and dollars perhaps pursuing that. But he says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So what's the point I'm trying to make? I'm not saying, well, just let yourself go. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I'm not saying that. Sure. Exercise, eat right, you know, all that stuff. My wife makes me eat stuff I don't even know how to pronounce. Um, But here's the thing I mean. Couscous. That's what I had to eat the other day. It's like tiny little pieces of bald rock. Anyway, this woman understands this. That fear of the Lord is always the wiser investment of my time rather than things that are fleeting, like outward appearance. So pursue beauty, okay, that's fine, but never to the neglect of the pursuit of the Lord. The pursuit of the Lord is not fleeting. It is not vain. It never, ever diminishes. It ne- there's, I'm 40 now, and what I've learned is I'm never going to have my 21-year-old body again, right? It's just continually going downhill. Things hurt where they shouldn't. Like, why am I hurting here? I didn't even do anything today, and I'm hurting. I sat in a chair and read. How does my back hurt or my leg or whatever? My, my point is we're, our bodies are always growing older, but the pursuit of Christ can't grow old. The pursuit of Christ can always be enhanced and grow And as our bodies might go downhill, the pursuit of the Lord can always go uphill. So the wiser investment of our time is while you might pursue beauty to some degree, it is not the predominant thing. It is not the only thing. But instead, you pursue the Lord. So this essence of this call to be this woman is really a call to Christ-likeness. It's a call to Christ-likeness because 
She looks well to the ways of her household. As I said in the very beginning, this woman is absolutely selfless. It's a picture of a woman giving herself away to her family and community with wholehearted selflessness, which is exactly what Christ did. He gave himself away with absolute selflessness to save the community of believers that would one day believe in him. So whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses this one, who loses his life will make it, I'm sorry, will, for my sake, will save it. And this is what the excellent woman in Proverbs 31 is doing. She's losing her life, and in losing her life and caring for her family and giving her life away selflessly, she actually finds her life. She actually finds her life. So when the world does not put the excellent woman on a pedestal who's wise, who trusts in the sovereignty of God, who helps the poor, who enhances her husband's success, who's kind-hearted to the poor, if the world doesn't put that woman on a pedestal, the woman doesn't, if the world doesn't think that that woman is an excellent woman whatsoever, the reality is, is that God does. God recognizes this worth, and what he says is what actually matters. And he will give much fruit to her hands, as it says in verse 31, and she will be praised in the gates. So this is a call to Christ's likeness above anything else. This is not just a call to be a good wife. If it were, then it would only apply to you who are married. And some of you aren't. And maybe some of you might not be. This is a call to Christ's likeness for all of us. And so in this next time here, I just want you to spend some moments to reflect as you've heard these things, married or unmarried, husband or wife, as you've heard some of these things, and just ask yourself, am I pursuing Christ and these things happen in my life? And as we sing, I just pray that you be obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading. And if you don't know Christ, I just invite you to come talk to me. And I would love to be able to have a chance to talk with you. Let's pray together. God, I pray that as we have looked at this text and we've considered that we would understand that this is a call to be Christ-like. This is a call to love you. This is a call to really find our life in losing it for you. This isn't just a call for wives. This isn't just a call for women. This is a call for every person to love you and serve you and give their life to you. I pray now that as we reflect and respond through song, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would show us places that we can improve, show us places that we can trust you more, show us places that we can pursue Christ in our lives. And for anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, they've never been forgiven by their sins, and they don't have these things to be true in their life, I pray that you would come now and save them. They'd come talk to me and we can talk about what it means to be a believer in Jesus and have their sins forgiven. We pray this in Jesus' name.